If you have your Bibles, please, or your Bible apps, please turn them to Matthew 26, chapter 26. We're going to be reading from verses 36 through 46. I'm going to be reading from the Good, Good News Translation. So, um, okay, I'll begin reading. Jesus prays in Gethsemane. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Grief and anguish came over him, and he said to them, The sorrow in my heart is so great that it almost crushes me. Stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 39, He went a little farther on, threw himself face downward on the ground, and prayed, My father, if it is possible, take this cup of suffering from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Verse 40, Then he returned to the three disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, How is it that you three were not able to keep watch with me for even one hour? Keep watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, Once more Jesus went away and prayed, My father, if this cup of suffering cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. He returned once more and found the disciples asleep. They could not keep their eyes open. Verse 44, again, Jesus left them, went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he returned to the disciples and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be handed over to the power of sinners. Get up, let us go. Look. Here is the man who is betraying me. Please join me in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for all your blessings that we have and you have given to us this whole week. We thank you for our health, Lord. Thank you for keeping us healthy and keeping us safe. Thank you for bringing us in this body of yours, Lord God, this body of believers that you have assigned and appointed for us. We pray right now, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit be the one to guide us and teach us, Father. I pray for those who are not with us because they are sick, Lord. I pray for their healing. I pray for their safety as well. And I pray, Father God, for the soul that still needs to surrender to you, Father. I pray that this will be the evening that they will surrender to your love. And I pray, Lord, for that believer that needs to make that commitment to you once again, Father. I pray that this will be the message for them and they will yield, yield to your leading. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we last week we discussed, our last series was about God's love and that the love is true. God's love is true and genuine. It cannot, it's unmatched to whatever love that we think we can get or obtain or give in this world. And uh, before that, we it was a response to the truth about Christmas. And then before that was the truth about Christmas. So now we're in March in the new series that so I've been praying, I've been praying for what can what what do I need to give to the people to you guys, and it's um, uh, our new series will be the road to the cross is what I want to call it, 
the road to the cross because the resurrection Sunday is is, is in April but I think we can uh, appreciate the resurrection more if we will understand what the cross was and we can understand what the cross is if we can look back on what it took God to be to get there right so I entitled our message BTS it usually me usually means behind the scenes right but I put it here behind the sorrow I put part one um, last minute because I want to be considerate to you guys I don't want you're probably gonna go through a two-hour message and you know we have guests for the first time they might not come back um, so behind the sorrow the acronym usually stands for behind the scenes it is usually done to reveal to us what had to happen in order for that event whether it's a wedding it's a birthday it's a movie what had to happen beforehand before we could see the final act I was um, me, Noemel, John John, and, and the Brockways, and Mikey were, we, we attended Tasha, Tasha's uh, school play. And John John was very quick to remind me and point out the guys in the background, the guys that were wearing the black shirt and the black pants, the guys that were moving the props in and out, the people that were moving the spotlight. And he goes, I have so much love for them. I can feel them. I feel what they're going through. Because without those people behind the scenes, even here at church, without the people behind the scenes, we really can't appreciate the whole Sunday, right? Because there are people that are setting up, like Brother Edgar setting up the music, the, the instruments here, the microphones, the sound system, the prayers that the prayer warriors do before Sunday. There's a lot of people behind the scene. There's a lot of things behind the scene and behind the sorrow of what we just read. The prayer in Gethsemane, the Garden of Olives, this is where they crush the olives to make it into an olive oil, right? It is where Jesus prayed to the Father three times, asking God that if there is any other way for Him, for God to save the world, let it be so. But then He was so quick to, be, to, to, to remind Himself and to surrender to God that, but let not what I want, not my will, but your will be done. There's things behind this sorrow. And I want us to, to because he said, my, 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 my spirit has anguish and grief, deep anguish and grief. There's sorrow. And there are things in the past before he prayed there. And there's things in the future that he was probably concerned about or distressed about. He knew, and we are given the gift to also know that the cross and the torture behind the cross, the, 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 the punishment behind the cross, he knew, Jesus knew that he was going to face that. So that's probably one major thing that he was saying, right? That's probably one. And there's this other thing, the there's the other possible sorrow that Jesus was feeling was the betrayal of his friends. Imagine, he took care of these people three years, three long years, and he didn't have another job, you know. He was with them the whole time, taking care of them, teaching them, but yet still he got betrayed. He was betrayed by them. So there's another one. And there's, there's some crucial points, too, on what we read that we need to discuss. 
It'll be really quick. First one is Jesus was prayerful. If you have been a Christian for a long time, you know that Jesus prayed a lot. Can somebody say amen? Amen. And why would he pray a lot? Because, okay, number one, there's a lot of things, right? Number one, he wants that fellowship with his Father. He wants to constantly be in tune with him. He constantly wants to be in touch with him. But the question now is, how come believers, how much do you pray? If our Lord, our Jesus, is prayerful, how come we're not? And I have to say this, and I say this all the time to the prayer warriors, is that the enemy hates it when we pray. The enemy doesn't mind you reading your Bible. The enemy doesn't even mind you coming to church. The enemy hates it when you're praying. Because on your prayer time, when you're down on your knees, you're in your most powerful position. Because that's when you're asking God for help. That is when you're asking God to help you in your life. That is when you're asking God that you don't fall into temptation. That is when you're most powerful and you're, and, and you're letting God, you're humbling yourself for God to help you. So Jesus was prayerful. And then the other thing, again, Jesus prayed so that the Father would sustain him on what he was about to face. And we saw three times that the disciples fell asleep, correct? They kept falling asleep. Peter did not pray, even though he was warned prior to this. Jesus warned him, tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But Peter the brat, you know, he was too proud to admit that he needs anybody's help over my dead body, Lord. But he forgot to pray. He forgot to pray. He forgot to heed to Jesus' words. So folks, Jesus' words to his disciples is that when he said, pray so that you don't fall into temptation, that goes to all of us. Amen? So if your spiritual life, if your Christian life is lacking life, if it's anemic, your prayer life's probably non-existent. Or, you know, you say breath prayers. Oh, Lord, protect me from this coronavirus. In Jesus' name, amen. On to my next thing to do. Oh, Lord, by the way, I forgot my milk at the grocery store. Hopefully, they will give it, you know, stupid prayers like that. I'm sorry to call it stupid, but it is. <laughs> right? We say a lot of, a lot of, unneeded and unnecessary prayers rather than really praying uh, an intimate conversation with the living God. An intimate conversation with the living God. So that's our introduction. <laughs> I know our, our, our guests are like, what the heck? What did they get into? First point tonight. We have two points. Betrayal, which is the letter B. And then, because it's BTS, right? I said the commitment, so I'll just keep on the acronym. <laughs> so we have two points, betrayal and then the commitment. Betrayal, number first point, betrayal. This is from psychology today. And this is how they describe how people feel about betrayal. There may be many good reasons. Um, I'm going to start reading. There may, be, there, there may be many good reasons to be upset at a person close to you who violates your trust. However, it is this sense that you're not valued that may be the heart of your emotional reaction. Betrayal by people you care about hurts 
because it destroys your self-esteem. If you're to get over this pain, which the study authors admit may be difficult, it may, be a, it may require readjusting your values. We can't change the situations that provoke our negative emotions, but by redefining the way we view them, we can eventually find fulfillment in changing our emotional responses. They're basically saying the feeling of betrayal is based on your values. It, it's based on how you feel and at the same time, you're hurt because you got betrayed and it's because of your insecurity. Now, betrayal on how we have two people that I want to show you guys that, that betrayed Jesus. And I'm, that I'm, as I was reading that, that, that passage that we read, I was thinking, what are the things behind Jesus' sorrow? And I just remembered, you know, first, of course, is Judas, right? This is the, the, the account where Jesus betrayed, Judas betrayed Jesus. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And mind you, before this, if you read Matthew, before this was... When, when Mary poured perfume on Jesus' head. And then, and then Judas Iscariot, the treasurer, said, What a waste of money! That could have been given to the poor. And then Jesus rebuked him, Be quiet! What she did is right, because it's preparation for me right, to be sacrificed. So I'm thinking, Judas, is, Judas probably got mad because he got called out. right? He got called out there, and, and, and he didn't. And people, proud people like Judas, they don't like God's word. They don't heed to God's word. They rebel against God's word. So Judas' next action is to, he went to the high priest. He went to the Pharisees and said, how much will you give me for him? He sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Because he was rebuked by Jesus. He didn't like it. Most of us, most of us, there are times when we were sinning, right? Or when we're sinning, we could care less about what Jesus has to say, right? We don't want to be around other Christians. We don't, we, we don't, we don't want to be at a church. We don't want to hear any preachings. We don't want to hear any praise and worship songs. Because the last thing we need, because the last thing we need is we, that we are told that we are wrong. That we are sinning against Him. That we are living a selfish life. Because the, 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 the main definition of sin is that I will be the God of my life. Okay? There are many sins. And everybody has a sin. Everybody has a failure. But the main definition of sin is, Lord, you take a seat and I'm going to be in my throne. It will be my way. So we've either done that consciously or we've done that subconsciously. Most of us, some of us probably have betrayed Jesus for a lot less than 30 silver, 30 pieces of silver coins. Some of us have betrayed Jesus for a, a lifestyle that we choose. God created us to be man and, and, and woman. And we decide, no, uh, I know I'm a man, but I want to be a woman. 
they can call me <laughs> Jojita is my real name. <laughs> right? Sometimes it's, it's a lifestyle that we choose. Sometimes it's that. We, we betray Jesus for that. We betray Jesus for a lifestyle that's contrary to the Word of God. We will get into business transactions that we know we're cheating men and we're sinning against God. Sometimes we would do it. And for those of us who were in, lived in the Philippines or, and you took the public transportation, the jeepneys, some of us, we betrayed Jesus for a fare. Some of us, we acted like Judas. Remember that sign? God knows who does not pay, right? Who does is Judas in the Philippines. God knows who does not pay. <laughs> anyway, it's funny for me. So I figured I'd share it. So my question to you folks is, is there anything in your life that you're betraying Jesus for? That you're exchanging Him for? Is there any relationship that you're exchanging Him for? That you're betraying Him for? Is there something in your life that you still need to give up? And you know in your deep heart, deep in your heart, you know you're betraying Jesus. Our next guy is Peter. Peter denies Jesus. Peter is the most interesting character in the Bible. Right? One of the most interesting disciples for me. Because he saw everything that Jesus has done. He even walked on water for crying out loud. Right? He knows. And he saw. He saw Elijah and Moses. He saw it. The transfiguration. He saw the transfigured Jesus. But then it only took a girl to ask him. Right? Look at verse 56. And a certain servant girl, seeing him, he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Well, go go on verse. Go look at verse fifty-four. It says there. It says there. Uh, followed, but Peter followed at a distance. See, it first starts with us this physical distance. For us to deny Jesus or our faith in Jesus, it first starts with us pulling ourselves back as far away as possible. It starts with that. Of course, the pastor is going to be saying that because he wants people to go come to church. Of course, I want you to come to church. Because sometimes, if you're going to be honest, how many times in the week did you actually read your Bible? And then you skip going to church? How many times in the week did you actually really pray to God and then read your devotion, read your Bible, and then you'll skip church? Of course, I'm going to be telling you to come to church because that's what God said. Do not neglect gathering together, encouraging one another. So Peter's first mistake here is he distanced himself. Folks, how much, how many times have you distanced yourself from God? Why is church, number one, coming to church not your most important thing? The first is the distancing. You distance it physical distance and then second is then you actually will say it. you will deny him you will deny him because of your because of what fear that you lose friends right 
You'll deny Jesus not by saying, oh, I'm not a Christian, but with your lifestyle. People that are following you, people are, that, are, that are watching you, that are, that are oh, seeing you every day, can they, can they see Jesus in you? Can they actually see Jesus in you? You know, it's, it's easy to say it. It is easier to say it, but so, you know what? But some of you won't even say it. But it is easier said than lived out, correct? Especially in this challenging world. Especially in this challenging world. You, you're going to be at work and you're at the break room and people are talking about stupid things, right? Most of the time. Like coronavirus is the most deadliest thing ever in the world. 235 deaths. And then you're forgetting about the is it 18,000 now that, pe that people who died from the flu. But everybody's worried about coronavirus because it's on Facebook Medical. <laughs> right? It's more important. It must be true. must be dangerous if it's on Facebook. People that are watching you, have you denied Jesus with your life? Have you denied Jesus on how you've been living? So that's all for us to think about. So that's the first weeping. There's this, that's the first thing that Jesus, I'm thinking, that's probably breaking his heart on the way to the cross. That his friends have, Peter will deny him, that Judas has sold him for 30 pieces, 30 pieces of silver. I don't know if you've been betrayed, of your trust have been betrayed by someone really close, someone that you've spent many hours with, someone that you've poured your heart into and your life into. And that's the most, one of the most hurtful things, correct? Is being betrayed by them. People that you're counting on to be there for you. And then when push comes to shove, all of a sudden they're gone. What you thought you had real good friends, you really had good weather friends. Right, you remember that? I remember that. Good weather friends. Bote friends in the Philippines is the bottle. You have friends that will drink with you. But then after that, they're gone. If you run out of beer, they're gone too. There's so many things that we can do to not betray Jesus. But the one important thing is with our lives. If you call yourself a Christian, people must not only hear you saying you're a Christian, but they must also see it in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's go to our second point. Yeah, I didn't read the whole thing. The second point is a commitment. There's this man, about 60 years old. He woke up, he woke up early, you know, midnight, somewhere like around 2 o'clock in the morning. He woke up, couldn't go back to sleep. He goes down, makes himself a cup of coffee. His wife wakes up, sees that his, his, her husband is not with him, goes downstairs, and he sees, she sees her husband in deep thought drinking his coffee, just looking at the wall. And then the wife goes, his name, let's say his name's Fred. Fred, are you okay? And Fred goes, taking a sip of coffee. And she saw a tear drop in his left eye, right? And he goes, do you remember 40 years ago when we were 16 and your dad caught us kissing in my car? And she goes, yeah, I remember. 
Do you remember? Fred goes, Fred continues, do you remember that he pulled the shotgun on me? And he said, if you're not going to marry my daughter, I will send you to jail for 20 years. And then she goes, yes, I remember. And then Fred goes, drops another tear. And he goes, I would have been out by now. <laughs> he was regretting. He was regretting what happened. He was regretting the marriage. You know, the, the word commitment is no longer a popular word. It's no longer a popular word. It's no longer a popular thinking. People could care less about the word commitment because we don't have commitment. The modern Western mind, we are now more about dignity. We are more about dignity, about happiness. We could care less about honor, about duty, about commitment. It's about what makes me happy. That's, that's, that's the modern thinking now. What makes us happy? Now I want us, I'm going to give you a few more illustrations of the word commitment before we go to that our verse there. The, I don't know much about football. I really know a little about it. But do you guys know about the play action? The play action, right? right? When they pretend they're going to run, right? It, because, because they want the linebacker, the linebackers to commit to the run. Everybody said, oh yeah, okay, fine. Let's talk about basketball. Give me a basketball one. No, so, so in football, there's the linemen, right? The big guys that makes a lot of money just to stand there and nobody would push them, right? Those are the linemen. And then there's a secondary. The secondary are the people in the back where if, if it's a pass, they're going to, they're gonna, you know, block the pass or, or stop the, the, the pass there. But there's the, the linebackers. The linebackers are either to help with the run or to help with the pass. The play action is designed, it's designed so that the linebackers will commit to the run. So that it'll be easier for the quarterback to throw that pass. And for good quarterbacks, it, they just need a little bit of room for them to make that pass. The linebacker committing to the run is what commitment really means. Commitment means it makes you vulnerable. You, you put your, your entire weight into something and it makes you vulnerable. Commitment is making you vulnerable. That's why when we say marriage is a commitment, it's a commitment. You put your entire weight to that and you make yourself vulnerable to your partner if they will love you in return, if they will be faithful to you as much as you will be faithful to them. That's commitment. That's the real meaning of commitment. If you put your, your entire weight on the door and then somebody opens it and you fall, that's commitment. <laughs> you committed your weight on the door. Okay? The love that God has given us, we talked about God's love, right, for the last series. His love for us comes with commitment. Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was sorrowful because the commitment that has to follow with that love takes his entire weight. It takes his entire life. He will have to go through the suffering 
That's why he, 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 he was so distressed that to a point that he sweated blood. That's God's love for us. That's God's commitment to us. That even though he was so, he was so distressed, that three times he asked the Father to take that cup of suffering away. But he said, but not my will, let your will be done. That's commitment, guys. Now the church of Jesus Christ now lacks commitment. We lack commitment. Oh yes, we're all about the grace of God. We're all about for the love of God. But we don't want to commit. We know of His commitment now. Maybe you'll step out of this, this building tonight. You know, oh, you know, God was so committed. His love was full of commitment to me from start to finish. But then you'll probably still not make that commitment in return. We use God as an ATM. Now we're probably all praying that, Lord, protect me from the coronavirus. <laughs> because I don't want to be quarantined. <laughs> commitment to God is like when Peter did this. Remember when Peter walked on water? Matthew 14, 28 to 31. Let me read it. So for those of you for those of you who haven't heard about it. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on toward Jesus. He committed himself. He put his entire weight. He got out. He trusted God. He had faith in what Jesus said. He made that commitment and he started walking on water. But then look at verse 30. So when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Like Peter at times, despite the many times that we've seen God answer our prayers, despite the many times that we know that God has provided and has protected us, just like Peter, just a little bit of trials, a little bit of shaking, a little bit of push, we forget who God is. We start sinking. We start sinking. Just a little bit of, 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 of a revelation from God saying, Joe, you must stop this. And we don't want to because we want to continue to live in that sin and we start sinking. We start sinking. And, and, and I hope if you're going through something like that, I hope you'll hear Jesus' words by saying, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? When we're living in sin, we just told God that we're not going to listen to Him. So we're, we're, we're in rebellion. It's more past doubting because rebellion is way past doubting. But at the same time, God finds offense in us doubting Him. He cannot do anything for us if we think He can't really do it. Why is it 
Why is it so easy for us to forget who Jesus is at times of trial? But you know what's more dangerous is when He's blessing us. When we're blessed, when we're healthy, when things are working out, business is flourishing, everybody's healthy, the house is getting bigger, the cars are getting nicer. Who is God? Without us saying it, but us in our hearts living it. Luke 7, 18 and 19. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? This is John the Baptist being imprisoned. And he calls two of his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? John the Baptist baptized Jesus. John the Baptist heard God the Father's voice by saying, Here is my Son to whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist heard all of that. But then John the Baptist has been going through some terrible times. He's been in prison. He's living a hard life now. And all of a sudden, John is in doubt. John the Baptist doubted. Now, can you blame the guy? I can't. Can we blame Job? I can't. John the Baptist was in prison for quite some time. And he had a hard time processing this. He, he's probably thinking, if that is the Son of God, why am I going through this? If Jesus is who he who says he is, why am I going through this? Is most of the time we wonder. Most of the time we ask that question when we're going through trials and difficulties. We start we start asking that why? Why is this why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my family? Now, there there's a really great need there's a really great need for us to really study the Word. And there's commitment there. Believer, you need to get into Bible studies. You need, to get re you need to start reading your Bible. You need to start making it to church. You need to start studying the Word. Because the devil, the devil knows the Bible. And the devil wants you to believe that if you are a Christian, you should be blessed. That if you name it and you claim it, you should have it. The devil wants you to believe all of that. Now, if you're lacking doctrines, the other doctrines, then you're falling to the trap of the enemy. John the Baptist sends his disciples and Jesus affirmed John the Baptist. Jesus said, tell John that the blind are now seeing, the deaf can hear, and the sick people are getting healed. That's to confirm to John the Baptist that Jesus is who he says he is. Now with us folks, in this life, we see trouble in this world, right? It's one thing after another. It's only March and it's so terrible. After the rumor war against Iran, now we're worried about coronavirus. 
right? And then Kobe Bryant died, you know, like, golly, this year has been terrible, right? But this world, it, it is the way it is because of our sin. Because of the sin of man. This is not how God designed it. This is the result of our sin against him. Committing our lives to him can be hard. It can be hard and it can be a long journey. It can be a very long journey in the desert. That's us committing our lives to Christ. Those of you who've been with Jesus, you know that your life hasn't been peachy. Right? But if you truly know who Jesus is, you should be saying this with conviction. It's worth it. It's worth it. Is it worth it? This is the last verse. The parable of the hidden treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeing beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Have you found the pearl? Have you found the pearl? Have you discovered who Jesus truly is? And if you have, have you traded everything that you have for him? This is easy. An easy, easy illustration here is you find a house, right? You're looking for a house, and then all of a sudden you saw in the back there, there's oil. You know, and you're like, man, there's oil here. And then you saw the price, and the price of the house is for everything that you have in the bank. It's everything that you have in the bank. But you're thinking, I'm pretty sure I'll make more. I'll make 10 times that. And what will you do? Honest to goodness, if you're not stupid, you'll do it, right? If you, okay, the exception is if you're stupid, you won't do it. But if you are in your right thinking, you're going to say, it's worth it. It's good return. If you were given a time machine to buy stocks of Apple when it was really low, when nobody wanted Apple, when they were calling it Macintosh, you would do it, right? You would get into that time machine, and then you would invest all the money that you have to that stock because you know it has great return because you know it's worth it some of you you don't you're not convinced that Jesus is worth it you're not seeing Jesus as a pearl you're seeing Jesus as a burden you're seeing him as a burden having Jesus in my, in my life is such a burden because I can't do what I want I can't party till I drop. I can't do this. I can't do that. It's like a list of things for me not to do. That's your first problem. Your heart hasn't been in tune with God yet. Because the things of the Word is still so attractive to you. Somebody really close to me called me. Uh, he said something very offensive to me, okay? But I'm over it. But I'm here to share it. <laughs> He said this, because this guy has been inviting me to go on a trip with him. And um, 
you know, because I knew him when I was single and, you know, we used to do stupid things. So we were in a conversation in a text and he goes, it was your decision. He just came. It was your decision not to go to that trip. Now you're, you're an old man full of regrets. So I don't know where I need to start being offended there. An old man being called an old man? <laughs> or the guy was full of regrets. And I told him, look, how do you see me as, why do you see me as a guy full of regrets? I don't regret following God. I gave him the verse that the Mark 8, what is it for man to gain the whole world yet forfeits his soul? I told him, I know it will be difficult for you to understand my calling. But I'm not regretting living for Jesus. He is worth it. Now, folks, is he worth it? Have you made that commitment to Jesus? Now, here's a quote from Tim Keller. He says, Commitment always makes you vulnerable. But Jesus Christ cannot be known apart from absolute commitment. He can't be known any other way. Jesus Christ can't be sampled. He can't be known on a money-back guarantee. It can't be done. He can only be known through absolute commitment. And to absolutely commit means the willingness to obey absolutely. Unquote. Now, I know that he doesn't mean that Jesus Christ can only be known through absolute obedience. Because the gospel says, right, it's not because of our obedience. It's because of what Christ has done. It's the substitute work that Jesus has done for us. That's the gospel. But commitment is this. Commitment is to absolutely commit. To absolutely commit is the willingness to obey absolutely. That's what a Christian is. A Christian doesn't always obey. I wish we can say we do. But a Christian is, you make that commitment to be obedient. It's like if you were to adopt a kid and you go to the adoption center and you talk to this first kid and you say, are you willing to obey me every day? And the kid says, no, that's impossible. And then you go to the next kid and you say, I'm willing to adopt you if you're willing to obey me every day. And the second kid goes, yes. So naturally, you'll adopt the second kid. And again, you won't be smart if you think that that kid, the second kid, will obey you all the time because you don't, human nature, that's impossible. But you would take this kid over the first kid because he abdicated the responsibility to you. He committed. He made that commitment to say, yes, I will try. I will obey you every day. At least he made that commitment. The first kid, you know, the first kid could possibly be more obedient than the first kid, the second kid. He's probably more a lot more smarter because he knew he can't be obedient. But he didn't want to give it up. He didn't want to give up that right. A person who has not committed his life to Christ is a person who wants to reserve the right to himself or to herself. I reserve the right to do what I want. I reserve that right. It is mine to give. 
Real love brings everyone. Real love brings you to commit. Now, to commit makes you vulnerable. But there is no other way for God's love to prevail but to commit His begotten Son, Jesus, to commit Jesus to the sufferings of the cross. That is what we read in the Garden of Gethsemane. There was no other way. There was no other way. Jesus had to commit Himself because of His love for the Father and because of God's love for the Father, He had to commit Jesus as a payment for your sins and mine. Now, the thing is, have you discovered the pearl? Have you seen who Jesus truly is? Until you have made that commitment that there's no ifs, there's no until. There's this girl that went to a missionary training, and she wants to be a missionary. But then she set a condition for Jesus. This is a true story. Her condition to God was this. Lord, I'll go through this training for four years. I just want you to give me a good husband. So four years in training, no prospects, nothing. And then on graduation night, to her dismay, she had no boyfriend, nobody to marry, no husband. And she was so angry, so angry against God to a point. But then, when, but then the Holy Spirit opened her mind. And she goes, shame on me to put condition on God. To put a condition on the living God. I know we showed a video before on how many galaxies God has, has created, correct? God has created many galaxies. The, the gravity, the, the earth that we're standing on, that's God. And it, with that type of power, with that type of person, with that type of knowledge, is that really the person that you want to become to, to be your assistant? That's the kind of person you want to be your assistant? God, I know you're powerful. But I'm going to put you in a counseling committee. I'll run things by you. I'll run it by you if you think it's good. Yeah. But I'm not going to take your word. You're just going to make suggestions. Some of us, that's how we treat God. That's how we treat the all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty God. We put him in a committee. We make him as an assistant. We make him into a genie. Behind the scenes, behind the scenes of the Garden of Gethsemane was all of that. But the biggest purpose there is because of God's love for us. And because of his love for us, because of the sin that we have that, that needs to be paid by with life, and it was only Jesus, it was through the shedding of his blood. And that was the only way. That was the biggest reason on that Garden of Gethsemane. So I hope, I hope that we will look into our lives about our commitment to Jesus, about the things that we betray Him with. I hope we're, we're going to make that commitment to finally realize that we have something really special with Jesus. And that we will live a life of commitment and obedience and love for Him. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank You for Your message that You have given to us. 
We ask, Father, that you remind us of it this whole week. As a matter of fact, for our whole lives. We are grateful for your love, Lord. We're grateful for your sacrifice. We are grateful for your commitment. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. We ask, Father, that you that we will finally commit our lives to you. Not just our Savior, but more importantly, as our Lord. Give us the desire, Lord God, to do this. Give us the desire, Lord, to obey you. In all of us, Lord God, we ask this in your Son's mighty name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And Lord, all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's, let's all rise.